Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, around the corner of future technology. And today I'm interviewing a very interesting company called GEM.co, G-E-M.co. Uh, the company utilizes blockchain technology in the healthcare industry. And I have with me uh, Emily Vaughn, head of accounts. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, this will be good. So can you give um, a quick rundown of what um, what GEM does with the blockchain and how it's relating to the healthcare industry? Sure. So in um, in layman's terms, Jim has a platform that connects systems that don't speak to each other. And we use the blockchain as a uh, communication tool and system log that allows those systems to pass information back and forth. And it's basically able to set up a peer-to-peer network for data exchange. And um, we believe that it's a, a much more efficient way of, of managing critical data um, for, for a number of reasons beyond security and, and speed and uh, general network resiliency. All right. You're going to be applying this specifically in the healthcare industry? Yeah. So our, um, our company actually has uh, active projects across multiple verticals, including healthcare, insurance, supply chain technology, financial services, but we do have a, a big focus in healthcare. And and that's really um, due to the fact that our vision for blockchain technology is not, is not simply that it's designed for moving around digital assets or financial assets. We think that, um, you know, those financial assets in their digitized form is, is just a data type. And so these networks, um, blockchain networks, are capable of managing all different types of critical data, and we see that there is a, a really big breakdown of data exchange and uh, process efficiency in healthcare. And um, so we're looking at you know what those opportunities are for blockchain technology, um, and, and we're finding that, that it's that it's uh, it's a very complex world to to be moving information around. That's for sure. Yeah, where are you seeing uh, the breakdown is in systems talking to each other? You know, maybe let's talk specifically about healthcare. Is it happening sure. in hospitals? Is it happening, you know, when someone goes to the doctor, pharmacies? Like, where does it happen? And what's what's the consequence of it? So, uh, the, I guess the bad news is, is it's kind of happening everywhere. So, um, on one end of the spectrum, on one data type that, that we look at is financial data, which is around... Um, claims processing. Um, so, in a in a very bare minimum, super basic workflow, you have the the hospital, the hospital's bank, the insurance provider, and the insurance provider's bank that are interacting when um, when the hospital creates a claim on behalf of a patient for for rendering a service. So, in today's world, what would happen is the hospital creates this claim record, and they they send it to a, a central party who 
um, receives that information, validates it against the, the stored logic that they have around that insurance policy, and they, they sort of synthesize in the information and then they send it out to all of the stakeholders. Um, and what we find is that, that, that having, being, having to send that information to a central agent and, and then having to wait for them to give you your, your insights back out of it creates a lot of latency. Um, and, and that's the reason that it may take anywhere from 40 to 60 days to receive um, a payment on, on a medical bill if you're, you're a hospital. So um, the, the turnaround time for getting paid on services rendered is very low for hospitals. And, and due to that, we see, um, we see the, the effects of that inefficiency uh, across the, the entire industry. So what we think blockchains could do, you know, by comparison, would be rather than sending um, that information to a central party and, and, and having sort of an opaque process in place for understanding the status of a claim, we could use a distributed ledger so that when the claim is created, there's this proof of existence that exists for it. And all of the stakeholders that have permission to interact with that data um, would be designated in, in, on the blockchain as well and uh, the applications that they're using to manage their claims processing could then use this log as sort of a, a back-end um, system check that's basically a, a shared record of truth between each of those systems. So rather than saying, okay, I submitted my claim and now I don't know, you know where it's at, the, the clearinghouse may have it, the insurance company may be looking at it, we're not really sure where it is, they, they can say, you know, well, we submitted it, there's this record of interactions attached to it, so and we all have access to that same history. So everybody's acting right. on the same information. Yeah, why is it taking so long right now, um, even within a hospital, to get paid? Do you think that they're a big organization and that uh, they're prioritized in getting paid? You know, um, <laughs> that there, that's a complicated um that's a complicated uh there's a complicated answer to that so okay. the on one hand you have the the way that we do um insurance and billing in the united states uh where a patient a patient comes in if you're a hospital and the patient is uninsured um in many cases you're required to treat the patient anyway and so there can, you can go through a lengthy process of finding financing for the treatment that you rendered there. And, um, and that creates a lot of inefficiencies in the system simply because not everybody can be treated the same. Um, and then on the other hand, there is the, the concept that uh, you have your, your insurance, where, where uh, your standard insurance, where you have a deductible that has to be paid. So you have the patient responsibility and what the insurance company is willing to pay. And then sometimes there's that there's that amount that's out there that that's not included that's not a part of the patient's deductible and it's not a part of what the insurance company is going to pay and it becomes the patient's responsibility and they may not be able to pay that in full so then they have to seek financing for for those types of procedures and um, and and you can you can begin to see that at every at every sort of kink in the chain there there's a new stakeholder whose interests have to be reconciled against the claim the claim file so there's a lot of different places that a hospital will have to go to check to to see you know who will pay for what before they understand really what the total bill is going to represent 
um, and that can be convoluted. What about the um, the patient side of things? You know, I've had the experience of going to the hospital or doctor, and four different people ask you the same thing. Um, you know, it takes hours to process you. Do you feel like your technology will reach the patient level, and do you think it'll help that experience too for patient yeah. data? Yeah, no, I think that that's um, actually a very important point to make is, you know, talking about claims data and the financial workflow, that's one end of the spectrum when it comes to the data exchange breakdowns that we see in healthcare. On the other end, you actually have the health data, the clinical data, and I think everybody has the shared experience of going to a hospital or going to a doctor, even the same doctor that you've seen, you know, your whole life, and having to fill out the same, you know, onboarding documentation or the same uh, health background information pretty much repeatedly. Um, and, and that, the reason for that is a combination of, of doctors wanting to make sure that they always have the most update, up-to-date information, and also the sort of lack of, um, the lack of integrity that, that our data that we do collect has. So on, on any given day, you may give a, a different answer for how many surgeries you've had in the past because maybe today you're not counting wisdom teeth or, or something like that. I mean, uh, I think people tend to answer uh, their their questions um, inconsistently. And so doctors like to, to repeat, you know, the, the collection of that information so that they kind of understand uh, the context of, of treating you that day. So sure. the, the the repetitive nature is one, in fact, due to, I think, just the human element and in, in, in wanting to make sure that you sort of have a total view of it. And the other is that, is that when you think about the people that, that work in hospitals, um, the the technology around managing health data is not always intuitive to how they do their business, how they treat patients and carry out their operations throughout the day. Going to a computer and typing in information is not exactly intuitive, but it, it but the cost uh, the cost effectiveness of having tablets and having patients you know input their information into their own EHR. Um, it begins to break down at the, at the user experience as well as the regulatory uh, the regulatory requirements for how data is collected and how it is allowed to be transferred. So it's it's a multifaceted issue, um, but I do think that blockchain yeah. technology provides a, a a path that that could restructure that a little bit. There's a lot of issues. I mean, I went to the doctor recently. They're still using paper. You know, I know a lot of yeah. people have too. Um, you know, then there's HIPAA and my medical information and having to get it from my own doctor and being able to get it and having other healthcare providers look at it and controlling that. So it's, you guys picked a good area because, yeah, it's rampant with problems and communication and, and just, yeah, it's it's crazy. Right. And, I mean, well, the key, <laughs> and I think the key thing that, that, you know, anyone who's looking at the opportunity for blockchain technology in healthcare or blockchain technology in any data-driven industry is that in healthcare in particular, it's not like there are highly centralized, super efficient, easy-to-use rails for exchanging data. Um, we have different rail systems for different types of data, and they're all organized mm -hmm. in different ways. And so what blockchain protocols can provide is a, a 
modular extensible network for recording proofs of existence of data and for and broadcasting other types of information. So it begins to lay the the the, the, the groundwork for um, all the, these existing systems that we use to connect to something like the internet, um, where they can pass data um, between their systems with full integrity. Um, is Zero Gems blockchain is going to be private, or are they going to anchor into the Bitcoin or Ethereum blockchain? So, you know, currently Gem is uh, is a blockchain agnostic platform. So we work with a, a variety of blockchain protocols. Currently, we use um, Ethereum and, and specifically a federated Ethereum network for creating a sandbox environment for, for developing out our, our uh, blockchain uh, applications. So we want to be able to test how data is recorded, shared, and retrieved in a secure environment before we begin to, you know, secure patient health data against any type of a public network. Um, and the market that we're in is, is not really demanding a public network for that kind of data exchange right now. We do believe in the future that it will capitulate to that, and, and you know, we're future-proofing our platform for when that day comes. But for today, we're using federated Ethereum, and we're exploring a variety of other protocols um, for for different types of functions. Yeah, what about um, people's medical data? You know, the ability for me or someone else to have control of my own medical data and share it when I want and move it around and you know, or keep it with me. Uh, is that part of your solution that you guys are working on? It's definitely part of the vision, um, it, not just with us, but with the companies in the healthcare industry that we've spoken with. Um, there, there are, there's a lot of need for the patient to be in control of their data. Um, one is, is this provenance of authorization. When the patient says, yes, I authorize that you can share my data, that moment is, you know, right now is kind of an all-or-nothing scenario. You you sign a you sign a piece of paper and and your data, all of your data can be shared. And there's a little um, there's little ability to track who did what when with your data after you've authorized its release. So blockchains allow us to be able to track th those kinds of interactions in a way that that um, that lends itself to a better application infrastructure where the patient can be included. Um, so we think that that, that is, um, you know, one of the big, huge value adds for this technology in this industry is being able to include the patient in, in the workflow. Um, and, and, you know, one way that I like to describe this is if you think about Bitcoin, um, the big offering that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin made available was the ability to be your own bank. You can go buy Bitcoin and you can store it. Um, on your, on a wallet service, and you can secure your wallet with with uh, device side keys, with your own phone and with your own hardware. You can secure your Bitcoin, so it, it allows you to provide your own security. So in that case, what are you using, you know, a bank for uh, to to grow and earn interest on on the on the value that you're storing with them, and and to right. you know provide additional layers of security. So if you apply that concept to healthcare, um, you know, we have this vision where your health data could be a part of a digital passport and um, you can secure that data device side just like you can Bitcoin and now the hospitals and 
other types of organizations don't have the pressure of being a data bank when that's not really their core business. And the hospitals, they need access to data and they need to be able to secure the, the data that they generate and that they create. But right now, these hospital networks are amassing massive amounts of patient data and the burden is on them to secure it. And that's putting a huge um, attack target um, on these hospital networks and we're seeing this break down again and again. So I think there's a cybersecurity value to be played from allowing, from enabling patients to, to secure their own data. And I also think it'll lend itself better to um, this IoT and interconnected world that is um, on the horizon where you have devices of, of all different types that are communicating with you about your fitness and well-being. And having that tied into your global health record is, uh, is a pretty cool concept, and, and we think that it's, it's possible with this type of network. Well, even though there's cryptography involved, um, do you think that individual people will understand security enough to protect themselves, or is there a reason that, you know, big institutions have been responsible for security so far, even if it's hacked, you know, sometimes? So yeah, I think that I think that the the future of, of securing data is it's very so historically we've had this trade off between data availability and data security. And if you have if you want your data data to be highly available and accessible at all times, maybe you just publish it on the internet or something. Um, but but when it comes to our really secure data, you know we have different requirements for that, and there has been a lot of pressure. To, to put that at the hospital, to make them the data bank. And there are reasons for that that I think uh, we'll continue to need. And one is really that the average person is not, is not um, really thinking about high-tech security all the time. And, and they really want um, the applications that they use to provide that for them in an intuitive fashion. So I do believe right. that that we'll be able to achieve a type of device-side security that is, you know, based in cryptography and is, you know, as secure as anything we use in, in government and finance today. But the user experience has to be addressed. And, um, right. and that's going to, I think, pose challenges no matter what underlying networking technology you're using to manage that access. One thing that, that I think is truly novel is um, a technology that was invented for Bitcoin, two technologies actually. One is um, uh, multi-signature uh, wallet security, where, yeah. where you could say, I need to have two signatures in order for this transaction to occur. So if we wanted to mimic this in a healthcare environment, we could say that whenever a patient's social security number is being shared uh, outside of the hospital system or whenever access to it is being granted to a new key, um, it requires two signatures, one from the, their primary care physician and one from the patient. And we could automate some processes around that so that, you know, it, it's, it's functionally happening in a very fluid way, but there is uh, this record that's being kept on the blockchain of who's doing what, who signed what. Um, so that, there's one is the multi-sig, which I think will open up doors for like a shared custodial model for the data. And then on the other hand, you have um, what's called hierarchical deterministic or HD uh, wallets, um, which were invented for Bitcoin, but have been 
um, <clears throat> expanded in finance, healthcare, and other industries now as um, an identity management system. So we're calling them like HDIDs. And they essentially allow you to have um, a skeleton key-like setup for your, for your user experience where you have a, a, a hidden private root key that is that the patient is in control of, for example, and then okay. they can have infinite public addresses that come out from that. So they can every time they sign into an application or every time they furnish a, di a digital signature, their public-facing data or their public-facing identifier is different. So from a cybersecurity element, that makes it easier for us to put this information on a shared infrastructure because all of the signatures that are coming across the network are totally unique every single time, and the only person who can route that to the, the, the key identity are going to be individuals that have permission, like the physician or um, the insurance company or the pharmaceutical company. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. Um, anything else about the function of um, security for people that want to, you know, get control their identity or control their financial data? Um, anything else that's important to talk about in that realm? Um, sure. I think that the real promise with patient-centric data management, um, which blockchain technology and, and other types of technology can support, is that in an in a production environment where where, where this type of patient-centric control is commonplace, it it, it begins to bridge the gap between what what our clinical health and and physician related treatment data is and and the data that we collect outside in our everyday lives and having the patient having a patient centric approach allows us to tie data from across our life to our health record and it can enable all different types of applications to come from that so there is, I think, an altruistic uh, vision here where having a, a better connected patient and enabling them to have control, control in a way that allows them to connect devices from all over their life to their health record and then make informed decisions based off of that, um, I think there's a lot of potential there to have a healthier and more informed population. And just being being a sort of a blockchain nerd who stumbled into healthcare, um, I've been really happy to meet with the industry-leading companies like Philips and Capital One who understand that and, and, and they see that vision as well, that a more interconnected patient, a more informed patient is going to be a healthier one. So um, it's been really cool to, to see that and be working with companies that are um, that are aligned in delivering that. Yeah, can you um, just go into your background a little bit? How did you get into the blockchain world? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. But um, but uh, so in, in school, I was studying um, international conflict and uh, particularly oh. around foreign aid. And I, um, I became very fascinated with alternative financing models like um, micro lending and peer-to-peer -peer lending and uh, prepaid uh, – digital currencies, because Bitcoin wasn't the first digital currency, but, um, and then, you know, sort of how the African 
um, different African countries use uh, prepaid cell phone minutes as a type of value exchange. Um, and I was really fascinated by that, which, you know, kind of led me to the Bitcoin world. And I was super skeptical of Bitcoin. I, I really, my boyfriend was obsessed with it, to be honest. And, and, I, and he was talking about it all the time and it just annoyed me. But, um, but you know, I, I uh, decided to, to just buy the bullet and, and check it out. And I, um, it was 2013. Uh, the price of Bitcoin was $125. And, and I, was, I decided to visit a, a Bitcoin conference in Atlanta. And I, and I bought a few Bitcoins then. And, um, and then, you know, I was young at the time and was kind of disenfranchised a little bit from the bank because I didn't have much of a credit history and there was nowhere for me to park my, my extra income. Um, so I started putting it into Bitcoin and then the price of Bitcoin exploded. It went from like $125 to, you know, $1,200 in, in under six months. And so that kind of convinced me that I needed to jump into this career, you know, head first. Uh, just learning everything about the technology, but I was um, I was primarily interested in its ability to uh, to prove ownership of an asset. Uh, I I think that it's really interesting that you can use these networks for devices to prove ownership or custodianship of assets, and I think that that's a very empowering technology when you think about data ownership or or even in um, you know developing world where you have different, you know, demographics that don't have access to banking services and they need to be able to prove their wealth. Um, so I, that was kind of what got me into it. And then I got some success investing into it. Um, and uh, I've been in the industry now for three years. Prior to Jim, I was working at um, BitPay, a payment processor. Mm. So very familiar with, um, with the payment infrastructure uh, around blockchain technology and and specifically around Bitcoin. Okay, very good. Um, maybe we could talk just briefly about one more industry outside of healthcare that uh, Jim is going to be working in, and what what the consequences will be. Sure. What's your What do you think is the most impactful or uh, or amazing or gnarly one that uh, you know besides healthcare that Jim is going to be so working in? So I think, you know, finance is fun. Um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about that. But um, the, I think the next big market um, is it's not, you know, there are, there's definitely, let me start over. Um, so I think the next big market for blockchain development is going to be in manufacturing and supply chain technology because you you currently have either a hodgepodge of technologies that you're using to manage your supply chain, or you're using a highly, highly centralized, bundled software stack to manage your supply chain. And if you're a large enterprise organization, if you think about like Nestle or Disney, um, where they're managing a, a, a global economy of merchandise, they're, the software that they use to manage their supply chain is so huge and monolithic that um, that at some point it becomes very difficult to innovate. So outside of blockchain technology, if you look at the trends in supply chain technology, you're actually starting to see a lot of unbundling happening where um, large supply chains in the retail space and in auto manufacturing and other manufacturing supply chains, pharmaceuticals as well, they're, they're unbundling 
these monolithic software stacks, and they're looking for things like event buses and event relay networks that can connect multiple different supply chain solutions so that at any given point in the supply chain, you could be using a highly specialized microservice to deliver the forecasting data on, on this inventory where it is right now with these specific set of conditions. Um, these, these big organizations want to get very granular in how they manage and get insights and value out of their supply chains. And um, the software that they use just isn't, isn't extensible enough. So there's this unbundling happen in favor of a microservices architecture, which has been going on for, um, you know, maybe, maybe since the, the rise of the API, so in the past, you know, 10 years. And so um, very gradual, but really starting to accelerate now with cloud infrastructure and APIs. So blockchain technology actually lends itself very well to this trend, serving as a shared event relay network that can underpin multiple applications that are connected to it. So um, there have been a significant number of, 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 uh, of improvements to blockchain technology around supply chain management. Uh, companies like Everledger, uh, Fluent, um, these are companies that are specifically focused on trade finance um, or uh, supply chain provenance. Ever, Everledger tracks the provenance of diamonds uh, from where they are uh, mined to their retail market to be able to prove the authenticity of the supply chain. And then Fluent is a, is a company that does trade, um, trade finance uh, in, in the supply chain market. And uh, there's another company called Chronicled, which is doing a similar thing to Everledger, where they're, they're doing proofs of provenance for uh, luxury goods, like luxury handbags, tennis shoes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so the idea is that, you know, as a consumer, if you're going to buy a $5,000 Chanel handbag, maybe you want to know for a fact that that came from the, the manufacturer, from, from the designer, and maybe you want to even know the sources of the materials that were put into it. So there's this upstream manufacturing provenance application for it, and then there's the downstream consumer responsibility opportunity as well. It's a pretty, pretty cool uh, area to be looking at. All right. Um, last couple of questions. So where is GEM, where is GEM in the process of rolling out uh, an application that's going to be in the wild and being used? Yeah, so right. we have um, – so our platform is an enterprise – is an enterprise platform. So it's not – really the sort of thing that you can go pull down off of our website and, and, and go and implement on, on your database, not yet. Um, but we, we expect to have um, a, a sort of sandbox version of the platform available, um, or, or at least the management console available in Q1 of 2017. But as it stands today, GemOS is, um, is, is active uh, on our Capital One um, projects and uh, and another project that we have in the energy markets, so we ha we have a, a a platform that that we implement for our, for our, our clients, but we haven't. Um, there's not really a sort of off the shelf solution for it. 
and, and that's mostly due to the fact that the types of problems our customers are, are solving are not really off-the-shelf problems that can be solved. So it does take a lot of um, iteration and retooling and, um, and sort of uh, rapid reconfiguration. Um, but we hope to be able to expose the, uh, the elements in sort of a light version um, early next year so that um, people that are trying to get their hands wet and are trying to understand how to apply this to their business have an easy-to-use tool for, for onboarding themselves. Okay, very good. And for, for companies uh, in various industries that want to talk to you about um, you know, how blockchain can be used to help them with their data interchange, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, the best the best way to get in touch with us is to shoot us an email over to Jim at hello at gem.co or to visit our website. Um, there's plenty of forms on there to fill out. And there's a lot of information, too, on, on our platform, including a white paper on GemOS. Oh, GemOS, the operating system that's going to run all of this? Yeah. Okay, all right, very good. Any other things I should have brought up that you want to talk about, or do you think that's a good coverage? Um, I think it's a good coverage. I know that I can be a little long-winded, so I hope your editing is uh, pretty solid. <laughs> no, I mean, you're fine. Uh, cool. There's just a lot of industries that could stand to benefit from it, so I think that's, you know, and you're excited about it, so that's good. Yeah. All right. It's a huge yeah. topic, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to to – to approach without just diving right into it. So, <laughs> hmm. all right, very good. Well, you know, I mean, I appreciate your time. It's been a good interview. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.